everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. For my third guest of the day, I have Ann Mansfield from the Nervous Girls, a local band, super cool band. I got the opportunity to kind of become acquainted with it this week. Uh, if you're into Hole, if you're into this Distillers, Sleater Kinney, a lot of these bands, you're going to love them. I really dug their album. And it's it's kind of sometimes when I'm talking to people, musicians on this show, it's like, well, send me your stuff and I'll listen to it. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, OK, well, come on. You know, we'll talk about it. But luckily, I really dug this band. I really dug their music. Um, so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I don't even remember how it was that we became acquainted, but at some point through the kind of gestation of this show and getting into the music world and getting to know, you know, the people who, you know, in the vinyl industry and live music and stuff, I'm making friends, which is really cool to me <laughs> because I'm such a fanboy. So thank you for reaching out and thank oh, you sure. for, yeah. And, and I guess you live in the neighborhood. You driven by, you, you said you've seen the mural and. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, just in Seminole Heights. Okay. Maybe 10 blocks that way. Okay. Um, are you from Florida originally or? No, no. I'm from upstate New York originally. Where about? Um, a small town called Fulton. Okay. Which is near yeah. Syracuse. Yeah. It comes up a lot. Uh, I, a lot of my guests went to UCF and a lot of my guests are from the northern part of New York. Uh -huh. I don't know how that's happened, <laughs> but I'm trying to remember who it was. Just last week, I had someone from Rochester. Oh, I had an mm -hmm. aunt who was up in Fayetteville near Syracuse, and mm -hmm. I would go up there every summer. So I know the area pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, very cool. So how long were you up in New York before you moved? Uh, I lived there until I was just about 21. Okay. And then I went to UW-Madison okay. in Wisconsin. Okay. And you'll hear me become... I have, I have family. I have family actually who live in Kenosha, which has been in oh, the news recently. Mm -hmm. I've talked with them a lot about what's actually they've had to evacuate certain parts. But um, so I know Wisconsin actually pretty well. So um, well that's cool. Uh, now music was this something that was in your family, or is this something you kind of found on your own? It was something I found on my own living in upstate New York, especially so close to Syracuse. We didn't really have a really good music scene. My my town was really small, and the music scene that was there was kind of tough guy hardcore sure. Earth Crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and that was not what I was drawn to. Right. Um, I came up in the in the nineties and was really like. Bikini Kill, Bratmobile, yeah. Slater Kinney, those Riot Girl kind of bands. Sure, sure. And that was kind of the polar opposite of the tough guy bullshit. Do you have sisters, brothers, anything? Uh, I have two younger brothers. Okay. Um, but I, they lived separate from okay. me. Now, anybody in your family into music or? Nope. So something you got in on, on your own? Yeah, terms? I was just always that weird that weird kid and I didn't really fit in and I kind of found my place in music and punk rock and DIY and zines and that kind of stuff. And who were your bands back then? Um, Aside from who you just named. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Slater Kinney was my favorite. I was really inspired by um, Courtney Love. Sure. Whole. Yeah. Um, that's what. Uh, Did you pick up an instrument early on? Or yeah, yeah, and guitar, uh, bass. What was your What was your guitar? Okay, yeah, I picked up. I got an acoustic guitar. Okay, uh, perfect for punk. Yeah, when yeah. I was twelve, and then um, I saved up shoveling snow. Oh wow! Well, there <laughs> you go. For like two winters to buy my own electric. What'd you get? A shitty Ibanez. Okay, it was like the corn model with oh, the for sure. spiky headstock. I, especially <laughs> in Florida, shitty Ibanez is, is the is the entryway drug for yep. for, for for guitars. So. Yep. No, I, I, I hear you. So um, when did you start playing in a band? I had a couple of bands, um, nothing real serious when I moved to Madison and I was in college. I was in an all-girl cock rock cover band okay. called Lick My Love Pump. Nice. Do you know Dave Decker? <laughs> I do know Dave Decker. Do you know his, his band Vaginosaur Jr.? <laughs> I thought that was the best ever. <laughs> Yep. And they're on Spotify. Yeah. You can find them. He's so wonderful. And not only that, but the way they spelled it is S-O-R-E, not S-A-U-R. <laughs> so it's entendre, triple entendre, you know, in that. So, well, that's awesome. Yep. So um, how long did that band? Oh, that for? band lasted. We never even played a show. Okay. And I was in a couple other small things after okay. that. But I didn't touch my guitar for the better part of 15 years. Really? Yeah. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. Okay. And I just didn't feel like it was something that I could do. Right. And, um, you know, I, I kind of fell into that like, oh, I, I'm married. I'm a mom. Like that is, you know, that is 
somebody else's life. That's not something I can actually do. And I'm no good and no one wants to hear what I have to say anyway. Right. So how did you get out of that? Uh, I moved to Florida. Okay. <laughs> I moved to Florida in 2016 and um, I was just really feeling kind of lost and like I would work this demanding job and then I would go home and be a wife and a mom and I just, how many kids do you have? I just have one. Okay. Yep. I have a boy, girl. Um a boy. How old? Uh he is nine. Okay. Yep. I have a two year old boy and a six year old girl and they're the best thing in the world. And apart and aside from them being the best thing in the world, and I don't know if this is your experience, but getting to experience music through them because they don't necessarily have your tastes in music, so they kind of <laughs> can introduce you to stuff that you wouldn't listen to, mm -hmm. and you can introduce them to stuff that they wouldn't l listen mm -hmm. to, and having conversations and seeing what appeals to a child, you know, mm -hmm. it's funny because, you know, I love my Spotify, and I have a lot of friends on there, and they're like, what are you doing between the hours of 7.30 and 8.30? Because there's a lot of Elsa on there. There's a lot of, you know, uh, what's her face? Uh Whose dad, who's dad is a country musician and just wrecking ball. Um, oh, Billy Ray Cyrus? Yeah, so Miley, Miley Cyrus. Cyrus, thank you. Yeah. I don't know why I <laughs> couldn't remember her name, but, you know, like, why are you listening to Miley Cyrus so much in the early <laughs> hours every morning? So I can still drive my daughter to school. So, but anyway, so, okay. So, and, and actually you mentioned to me before you came on, you have a pretty unique uh, job history. I do. Yeah, I work in transplant. Okay, so uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, and I'm only becoming aware of this as she's telling me before the show, but early on when someone passed away, you if, if they were an organ donor, you were in charge of going and getting those. Uh, yes, yeah, so I, uh, I was responsible for eye recovery. Okay. So this was when I lived up north in Wisconsin. I spent about five years essentially on call all the time when people would pass away. I would go to funeral home, morgue, medical examiner, middle of the night. And you get a cooler and you got to take it. Get a cooler and take the eyes. <laughs> wow. Yep. Yep. Was that, was that a dark dark time for you or was there gallows humor involved oh in it? there's tons of gallows yeah, humor yeah. it's what it what's it's what gets you through because you know we don't see a lot of happy endings sure we always talk to people i'm a divorce attorney so i'm right there with you right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah so we talk to the people um that we do talk to throughout the process on the worst day of their life they yeah. just lost their husband their wife their um, son or daughter, mom and dad, and we are there trying to facilitate their gift of donation to make it positive in some way. Right. Yeah. And so you've matriculated from being boots on the ground to being more compliance and uh, yeah. administrative. Yes. Okay. How has COVID impacted that world? Has it changed uh, the, the policies and procedures in place on how you do things? Tremendously. How so? Um, we... We now have to do a lot of screening for COVID. Um, anything respiratory um, is a concern. Has it for ruled us. out certain organs now that can be donated? Um, not organs, because there's such an or uh, a shortage okay. for organs that um, that has not had that much of an impact. If someone passed of COVID-related complications, can you do uh, their lungs or you know? I don't believe so. Okay. I work with on uh, my bank does tissue and eyes. Okay, um, so we do skin, heart. Um, heart for valves and um, bone okay. and um, different veins and arteries and okay. then the eyes. And if a person passes of COVID complications, if they had COVID in the last 28 days, that will rule them out for rule transplant. Out. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yep. But Interesting. there has not been any known transmission to date of um, by organ. By correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. So I was having this conversation earlier today with a colleague of mine. We're seeing, because we do a lot of civil litigation, personal injury, wrongful death, med mal, that sort of thing. And we're getting a lot of med mal calls on COVID. And mm -hmm. the thing that we're saying is, is it's a, it's a novel treatment. Like there's right. no, they're kind of, everybody's kind of figuring out as they go. Absolutely. So it's hard to say that they were negligent or not operating within the accepted standards because there aren't any accepted right. standards. It's like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. You know, yeah. like, uh, do we use a ventilator? Do I not use a ventilator? Do mm -hmm. I do this? Do I not do that? The hydroxychloroquine or whatever. And now there's whatever this plasma is that Trump's talking, you know, yep. it's like all this stuff. People are literally like, Huffing paint fumes, hoping it'll, right. you know, blow it out of the yeah. system. And FDA has not even given us regulations during this time. They just said, here are considerations. Right, right. You should consider whether. Yeah, yeah. And it's really our accrediting agencies that we get certified from. Those, those friggin' that... lawyers that sue everybody for everything. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I don't want to be on the hook for this. Yep. So, yep. you know. 
proceed at your own risk. Yep. So, um, so getting back to kind of the the thread that we were on, though, you said that coming to Florida kind of brought you into or yeah. out of your your shell, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Because up north, you know, I I got real wifey. <laughs> yeah. And I I kind of fell into that pattern. And when I moved here, I didn't know anybody. Right. I didn't have any friends, and so I was like, you know what? I am going to buy myself a guitar, and I'm going to just teach myself to play again. What year was this? This was 2016. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I got my guitar in early, in like January 2017. What'd you get? I got a Fender Telecaster. Okay. Um, beautiful American white Telecaster. Yeah. And um, I was like, okay, I feel comfortable. I'm going to just see if I can find anybody who wants to play. How'd you do that? Uh, Craigslist. Okay. <laughs> I met my band well, on Congratulations Craigslist. on not getting murdered. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the advantage of being in an all-girl van. Yeah, yeah. You feel a little bit safer. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're ruling out <laughs> yep. 90% of the perpetrators. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the girls, they they had a Craigslist ad up that they were a bassist and a guitarist looking for a drummer. Okay. And I messaged them and I was like, I'm not a drummer, um, but we have the same... Influences. Did you guys put the influences out there? Um, they had, yeah. I always love these discussions. Like, want to sound like, you know, <laughs> yeah. X, Y, and Z. They were like, you know, we're really inspired by like the yeah, yeah, yeahs. Yeah. And, and there were a couple other ones I can't remember. Um, but I was like, you know, we have the same influences. Like if you, I've been talking to someone who plays drums. So if you guys would be interested in bringing on an extra guitarist, I can bring him with. And um, we ended up meeting over at the Indie. <laughs> okay. And we really hit it off. There's and- a guy in three girls uh uh originally 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 yep and um he's the one that gave us our name okay (laughs) he uh he was kind of flaky he only maybe came to two practices the whole time and he made a joke because we were so nervous playing together he He, called you the nervous girls he was like i'm joe blue and this is the nervous girls (laughs) and so we we kind of found that we didn't need him we had a better flow when he wasn't there so we broke it off with him and we're like all right i guess we're the nervous girls now do you have a drummer now we do. Okay. Yeah, this is actually our second iteration. Okay. Uh, we've been a band for three and a half years now. Okay. And the first two years, um, we were three-piece. And um, that was the original uh, two girls from Craigslist right, that I met, right. Amanda and Lauren. Um, and what ended up happening when Joe left, Lauren was like, I'm going to teach myself drums. Yeah. And she hopped over on drums and Amanda played a little bit of drums too. So they would actually switch off. Okay. Um, and we had our first configuration was two guitarists and a drummer. Okay. I and, dig it. And yeah, I was like, you know, Slater Kinney does it. <laughs> well, Slater Kinney. And then you had, you had the black keys, white stripes mm-hmm. years. And now there's a, so one of the bands I one of the concerts that I saw that I loved was it was Nine Inch Nails, Queens of the Stone Age, and Death from Above, nineteen seventy. Oh, and that's yeah. just a bass player and a and a drummer. Mm-hmm. And you know now there's a lot of bands that. Uh, so I saw Sleep at was it the Ritz? They had big business open for them. I don't know. Oh, if that was at Crowbar. Was it at Crowbar? I no, think so. there was, was big. Well, big business has played at the Crowbar, but I think oh. big, big business opened for Sleep at. Is, is it still the Ritz? Yeah, it's still the Ritz, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're a bass and drum combo. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've ever seen them play, Cody Willis, the drummer, um, he drummed in the Melvins and drummed for the Murder oh. City. Uh, uh, Murder City Devils? Anyways, amazing drummer and amazing. I, I always love when a band, a two-piece can sound like a 20-piece. So, yeah, yeah. And, and there's other bands. Now, there's one band I'm trying to think, and they literally like song to song switch off who's playing guitar and drummer and mm-hmm. singing. So I love that kind yeah. of, you know, you don't know what you're getting type of deal. Yeah, that's that's what how we started out. We did that for two years. We would have songs where they would switch, and they were both songwriters too. Are you the singer or who's the singer? Uh, right now, uh, I'm the primary singer. Okay. I sing the majority of our okay. songs. Um, and so our current configuration, um, Lauren, our our previous drummer, she uh, last year was like, you know, I'm, I want to go back to school and I want to move back home. And so we were kind of at this crossroads. 
crossroads of what are we going to do? Right. It was always the three of us. And um, I ended up, I went to a show at Crowbar and this girl came up to me and she's like, hey, aren't you in the Nervous Girls? I saw you at this show. And she was like, I'm a drummer. So if you're ever looking for one. Awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, what is it about this town that a, another female drummer will just materialize or or whatever (laughs) it's just kind of you ask and you shall receive type of situation yep and that's uh that's our current drummer morgan okay so you're a three-piece or a four-piece right now we now now have a bassist also our friend amanda last year um before our big because we we didn't play shows for about six months while we were transitioning and reforming and our friend amanda um was like i'm gonna teach myself bass so that i can play for you guys that's awesome and so now we're a four piece now are you rhythm or lead or does it even i'm definitely more rhythm okay (laughs) uh i joke about how my playing style is i pretty much just have like four chords with capo and pedals (laughs) work for the ramones work for the bad brains work for you know black flag and everybody else so no shame there so um writing the music is it collaborative or is there it is it is pretty collaborative we kind of write it in layers the majority of our songs will start with me um i typically will write some kind of intro or like picky part sure and then i will write some chords and verses and and figure out the song structure and then I'll bring it to practice and everyone will build the layers upon there. And then we'll kind of figure out how are we going to transition? What can we do to make it more interesting? um, How can we make it more dynamic? And how much is COVID fucking up your? Uh, It fucked us up pretty bad. It was really hard because we would practice before COVID. We practiced twice a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. discipline. You don't yeah. see that a lot. Yeah. And, you know, we talked to some of our friends and they're like, mm, we practice like every two weeks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we practiced on Wednesdays and Saturdays religiously That's awesome. for the last, you know, three and a half years. When did you years. put out your first album? Now you brought, I think you brought me something. I did. All yeah. Right. Um, our EP, our Hunger EP, we put that out in February of 2019. Okay. Um, um, and uh, we are now working on a full length. I hope so. I mean, that that's the conversation that I have with everybody that I know that plays and writes music is you better be using this time to oh, get yeah. out some content. And not only that, but if you look back historically on some of the greatest music movements, they're always attached to when we're in crisis, you know, whether it's, you know, segregation or the Vietnam War or whatever Mm -hmm. the thing is. So you better write. I mean, there's so much to write about now. There's so much to be inspired by now. There's so much message to get out there. And, and, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping that if there's one of the byproducts of this just shit year or years Mm -hmm. or terms in office, however you want to, however you want to break it up, Uh that it's, resulting in good music. Yeah. Yeah. I, we have actually, you know, a lot of my friends in, in bands are struggling right now to write anything. And, um, you know, we've been pretty fortunate in that, um, you know, we did, we did stop practicing for about three months. Right. And then in June we were like, okay, we're feeling a little bit more comfortable. Um, and we have a big practice space. Where do you play? Where do you practice? Our friend, our guitarist house. That's one of the big, Biggest parts of parts of this deal is finding a place to play. Yeah, yeah, and it's not easy. Yeah, so we um, we just practice in her living room. Sure, and it's like a big L shape, so we can kind of form a V and stay apart from each other. And that's really hard. (laughs) I just miss them and want to like hug them. Um, But we've, because we've been able to, to practice now we do once a week. um, Have you got some, got some songs under your belt? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think we've written, um, we have written, we had a couple that we had started before quarantine. um, And I have two more. Uh, that we've now you since. mentioned this to me, and I, hopefully this isn't off limits. But and when we were talking about when you were coming on, you were kind of telling me about an evolution in your sound a little bit, mm-hmm. um, especially as far as the vocals go. Is that something that's okay to talk about? Oh, for sure. Well, because we were you said originally it was a little bit more kind of I forget what what the vernacular was that you used, maybe punky to more of a shoegaze type of aesthetic yeah. with the vocals. Yeah. How did that come about as a change for you guys? Is that just something that you all were into or one of you was into or yeah I, I when you listen to our earlier like our first ep the the influences are there we've 
we um, when we first started the band, I was really terrified of pedals. Okay, I had like a delay pedal, a chorus pedal, and an overdrive. Yeah, yeah. And now I have, have a, a whole board. ginormous yeah. board. <laughs> it's the usual, it's like tattoos. You're like, I'm just going to get one. And yeah. all of a sudden you have a million of them. Yeah, I have that too. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> I have I, that problem too. You no, know, my wife, we, we was, I forget what year it was, but we went to New Orleans and I'd been wanting a tattoo forever. And I finally convinced my wife and I was like, it'll just be one. And I have five. And she's like, <laughs> okay, you know, when, I yeah. thought it was just one. And, you know, and so, uh, you know, I, I definitely get that. But um, same with the pedals. So it well, same mm-hmm. for me with guitars too like yeah my buddy uh greg from wolf face he's like he's like you, you can only play one of them you know <laughs> <laughs> you need a backup yeah you need one yeah it's like yeah but this name. one's a v and this one's an sg <laughs> and this one's a telly and i need a bass and now i need a banjo and i got a mm-hmm. ukulele yep. <laughs> so i was like you, you know you can you can come up with an excuse <laughs> for anything but anyway back yeah. Enough about me. Let's talk about you. Uh, um, yeah. So the the stylistic kind of change from the EP to what you guys are writing right now. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it um, has been the evolution in us adding a different drummer, and um, having that bottom end with the bass has really made. Is this a drummer difference. a more skilled drummer or a? Oh, I don't want to put you on the spot. It's a different sound. They, they have they bring in different paints to the canvas. Then yeah. yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll talk about it in those terms. Um, so you, you used the phrase, I think you used it. I might've used it, but we talked about shoegaze. And then I mm-hmm. was telling you about this kind of, uh, inner, inner battle that I'm having about Deftones because half of my friends think they're shit and the other half of my friends love them. And <laughs> I'm always having to go through and explain my love for them, but they're not really a shoegaze. You know, when I hear shoegaze, I think of my bloody Valentine or I yeah. think of, you know, more of that kind of mm-hmm. type of ride deal. and yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, is the is the music becoming softer or is it more just the vocals that are doing that or? So I like shoegaze. I I like shoegaze that has more distinct vocals. Okay. And I think that's that's a little bit more in the direction that we're going. Okay. I don't like it necessarily. Droning. Droning. I, I don't like when the vocals are just a layer. Like sure. Especially when there's a female singer. It tends to be like this ethereal, beautiful, right, right. but kind of breathy layer. Yeah. And we are at heart like a punk band. Yeah, yeah. We we sing about, you know, especially being an all-girl band, we sing about um a lot of things that are hard to talk about. We talk about childhood trauma and molestation and rape. And um I have a song I'm going to cry on your you podcast. Cry. Please cry. <laughs> um, we have a so song. It's like when you're driving, it's like 20 <laughs> points if you hit that old lady. It's like, if I, get, if I get a cry, then I, you know, I get a triple word score. So you're good. Um, I'm a, I'm a crier anyway. I cry. I cry at shows. But we have a song that um, that's on our new uh, LP that we have not yet recorded, um, but it is about my son who died. Okay. And the uh, how traumatic that was. Okay. And uh, I just put all of those feelings and all of that grief in the song. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And um, I another song is about my divorce. Uh-huh. Um, and really, a lot of the a lot of the record has been just the weird shit that has happened since getting divorced and like dating again and new relationships and anxiety and dealing with all your trauma and your bullshit while going through. Well, that's, that's why it's so beautiful is, is the music is, is, is there's not a lot else out there that can do that for no. you. And, you know, I've had this conversation with Tom DeGeorge at Crowbar and a lot of other people, you know, a lot of people are really afraid right now of what is what what are going to happen to musicians, what's going to happen to live music. You know, there's a very real possibility that live music venues just go away. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that I kind of am comforted by is if you look back on a broader timeline, historically, art has always found a way to survive mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it may not look like it did a year ago, but it's going to yeah. look like something else and be there. Yep, it will. We played one of the last shows we played and I was kind of, I was not looking forward to it. We did a little mini tour and most of the time we make a concerted effort that we play with other women in bands on sure. the bill. Yeah. And we were going up to Jacksonville and there were like six bands at a punk house and mm. we were the only girls in any of the bands and I was just like, all right, whatever. But when we got there, um, uh, it was a shed with like extension cords. Can I see green room? 
Mm-mm. You ever see the movie? Oh, you got to see uh-uh. the movie Green Room. I will put that on my yeah, list. I'll tell you about it afterwards. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like extension cords running out to a shed in a, a driveway. Party in a shed, yeah. And there were all of these young girls there that wouldn't have been able to get into the bends sure. or you yeah. know a lot of the places that we play. And you know, here there are like we started this. I, I got to I got to say it was one of the best moments I've had it, you know, since being in the band. Um, but we have a song, um, called surrender, which will be on our LP. Um, that is about taking your body back after, um, childhood trauma and molestation. And I got to say all girls and those who identify as girls come to the front. And we had this huge all girl mosh pit in a shed in Jacksonville. Well, so it's interesting mm-hmm. because now, um, you know, obviously there's the Me, Me Too movement. There is transgender. There's a lot of things that ha- happen with gender roles and mm-hmm. sexual dynamics and sexual identity. It's really, you know, a new world in that regard. Right. And and I had on, uh, I think it was Monday, I had on Darcy Greco, who's a local female stand-up uh, comedian. And I was talking to her about that had always been such a boys club to be Uh able to really get in and succeed. And, you know, forever women can't be funny, you know, or, and same with music, women Mm -hmm. in hardcore women in punk. And I mean, you know, I think maybe music got there a little bit earlier than comedy did. Yeah, I think so. Um, But still, I mean, you know, in these last four years, I'm always amazed at how far I thought we had come versus how far we are. And, you know, one of the stories I always tell, so I'm a, heterosexual white male i i've suffered the least of anybody <laughs> and i've no, i've never been put upon but sure. so when we had my daughter stella who's six now uh you know we decided my wife and i are pretty progressive liberal that sort of thing and we wanted her to have kind of a breadth of experience in her education and so we're not well actually i found out that i am 10 percent jewish but at the time i didn't realize i had any jewish in me um we put her in jcc and so she was going to a jewish school uh and around this time, there was uh, this situation where we were getting tons of bomb threats, tons of act- active shooter threats. Uh-huh. People were putting like swastikas on Shahrazadek and doing all this stuff. And there was a period of a couple of weeks or months there where I was getting calls every day. You got to come pick your daughter up because we have a, a drill. And I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. First mm-hmm. off, number one is. I don't have the time, like, I don't right. have the time to keep leave. I mean, I love my daughter and I'll, I'll, you know, fight the world if I have to, to protect her. For but sure. I was like, this is exhausting. Who's okay. calling this in every day? I was like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my friends, my Jewish friends and black friends was like, how's it feel? Right. You right. know, like, this is you know, this is what like. we go through every day. And I was like, why aren't you guys angry? And I'm angry. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, oh, glad you're angry about something. You know, finally you're in the crosshairs. And so, but it's true. It kind of mm-hmm. showed me, oh, and, and so Today, when we see like, you know, you know, Breonna Taylor, or we see George Floyd mm-hmm. or we see is Jacob. Is it Jacob, the last name or the first name? The guy in Kenosha that's brought all this yeah. about. And it's yeah. just like, you know, people just don't get because th- they're not experiencing it. Right. What everybody else experiences. Right. And then, you know, what a there was a there's a, a illustration that came out today and it's got the two officers with their guns trained on the guy that they shot. With the the Rittenhouse kid I just walking that. by with this guy, and I was just like, "Yeah, you can argue that whole dynamic a bunch of different ways. You can try and explain away why this guy should have been shot or this guy wasn't shot or whatever, but the reality is there's a disparity of treatment. There just Absolutely. is a disparity of treatment, and whether it's color, whether it's political leaning, whether it's sexual proclivity, whether it's how you identify, whether mm-hmm. it's you're a woman or a man." And, you know, one of the great things about music is that's such a great uh, vehicle mm-hmm. conduit through which to talk about these things. So when you bring yeah. up to me what your songs are about, what you've experienced. And, I, you know, I had Bill Yanger on recently who uh, I think got the seat. I think he got the seat. He might be now in a primary with his opponent. My other life as an attorney, I have a <laughs> lot of judges and, and these sorts of things on. But uh, his daughter was killed and mm. um, he knows who did it. And this person's not been arrested oh, because God. they can't prove it. And he, as a, as an attorney in right. the criminal, you know, in the world of litigation, he literally knows the person that took his daughter. Now she had issues with, with substances and other stuff. And he talked about this on the show. So I don't think he'd get upset with me talking about it, but my whole world and, and tell me if I'm out of bounds here, please stop me and I'll go off. But, but, but my daughter and my son are just everything mm-hmm. to me. I just, 
they fill my heart up, my lungs up and everything. So I can't even, I mean, the fact that you're here today, even talking about it is impressive <laughs> because it's, you know, I, I, I can't even imagine. That's, that's what I try to do with, with our music. You know, even if we are like a small local band and not everybody is going to hear it, like we don't, we don't play that song very often, but um, you know, all I can do is put my experience into into what I make. Yeah. And that that's what what I do in the Nervous Girls. And the first time that we went to play that song, uh, we went to play it live. Uh, I had a panic attack oh, I can on imagine. stage because I was just like, you know, even I can imagine the rest of the people in the band <laughs> are like looking at you. They're, like, they're gonna, looking at me. Is she going to be able to do it tonight? Is she going to be able to? Yeah. And we don't do it very often because it's very, very hard for me to do. Yeah. Um, but I turned around and I was just like, I can't do this, you guys. And my drummer at the time looked at me and she's like, you got this. Yeah. You got this. Yeah. We are here for you and we love you. Yeah. And I just, I was like, okay, yeah. we can do it. And we turned around and we played it. And, you know, I know that. Is it a loud one or a soft it one? It is or? a softer one. Okay. Um, you know, it does have some loud moments mm -hmm. in it um, because it, the, the analogy of the song is that grief is like a wave mm -hmm. and it's like a flood and it will overcome you if you let it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's called Floods. And um, there's a lot of, of this is on the new LP or this, this on the is EP? on the new LP. Okay. Yeah, this will be on the new LP. When's this coming out? Um, well, we're we're recording it uh, with Frank okay. um, from the Alps. Sure. Uh, we just started. We're two songs in. We've okay. got like seven or eight more to go. Yeah. So we're we're taking it a little bit slow um, because of COVID. We're doing oh, like sure. one one um, session a month. So we're hoping that, you know, by the time it's ready to go, hopefully shows will start coming back yeah, yeah. and we can start playing out again. Right. Um, and you know, we have a whole, you know, whole new record to, to, um, share those experiences with. Um, we have a song similar to what you were saying, you know, um, about the, uh, active shooting drills. We have a song on our um, EP that's on Spotify. It's called Thoughts and Prayers. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it the day after Parkland okay. um, because my kid was going to school. And I just had this thought of like, there's nothing that I can honestly do to keep him safe. Yeah. And so the song is about that. Helplessness. And yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. About just like you are watching your heart walk around outside your body. Yeah. And you can't do anything to. What a great analogy given your profession, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and your music. There's kind of a synchronicity there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's that's what our music is, is is I I take what I know. And I've been so conflicted, you know, throughout um, this summer because I want, you know, and I want to write a song about everything that's going on right now. I want to talk about how Black Lives Matter. I want to amplify that message, but I don't want to do it in a way that feels cheap. Well, so I so I talked to Dave Decker about this and I talked to, mm -hmm. to Greg of Wolfface about this and I was like cuz you know everybody's having the issue of I can't practice with my band and I was like do like a a protest music acoustic deal. Do like a mm -hmm. you know Woody Guthrie, you know, this machine kills fastest just kind of mm -hmm. get it out there and I don't know if it was I don't remember if it was Dave or if it was Greg but well, Greg was like, no one wants to hear a white attorney sing about Black Lives Matter. Right. And I, Dave, I don't think said it so expressly, but he's like, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know if, if not that it's not my message to put out there, right. but, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not the face of this or, right. you know, so right. kind of trying to figure out your place in that. It's hard it, because it really I is. want to show my support and I want to, you know, I'm affected by, I'm affected by what is happening in that I feel helpless and For I sure. wish I could do, I wish I could change it. And, you know, what I can do, the advocacy that I can do still feels like we have this monolith. We have this, you know, this awful administration in office and I like, you just feel helpless. I feel like we're biding time. So either this November or mm -hmm. four and a half years from now. Right there's not going to be any growth or positive mm -hmm. movement until he's gone. Yeah. And I don't want to be that white feminist that's making 
this thing that's bigger than me about me. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, I, we started writing a song and I started writing because I was so affected by just the, you know, what happened to Brianna Taylor, yeah. just how uniquely awful that yeah. is. And that is so not likely to happen to me as a white woman, um, you know, to have a similar situation, but I'm still like, I feel so deeply saddened by by what happened empathy like, empathy is such a such a valuable tool that just seems to be not as ubiquitous as as you might hope that it would be and you know I, so i struggle uh, much in the same way that you're talking about with you know what what role do i play here right. and so i you know i've talked a lot on the show that i i'm a big proponent of therapy i, I go every week and same. yesterday i was talking with with uh my my therapist and i was saying you know i don't know you know is is not speaking am i complicit not speaking right. but is it self care to not speak versus butt heads with people constantly right. and are you really what are you really doing arguing with these people? So speaking up versus not speaking up, protesting versus not protesting, saying stuff about it, not saying stuff, you know, where do, you know, it's just not trying not to be racist. Is that enough? You know, like what, where mm -hmm. is it that you fall in that? But I think at, at a bare minimum, just trying to be empathetic and it's what's hard to do is to walk a middle road. You know, this is something that I spend a lot of time talking about, too. It's very easy to be on the margins, uh, whether politically, with faith. Whatever the thing is, you know, if I, I, you know, I always talk about it with my diet. I, I'm either able to, you know, consume like 400 calories a day between 12 and four, and I'm in great shape, or I'm killing pizzas, and you know, <laughs> it's that middle ground where okay, you can have a piece of cake, but maybe don't have that big of a piece right. of cake, or yeah, you can have a couple beers, but don't drink a case of beer. So, you know, politically speaking, you know. Don't don't be don't be quiet, but also you don't have to fight and die on every hill, every battle, you know, because Facebook and social media gives you that opportunity on a nightly basis Absolutely. to just, you know, bang your head against the wall. And that's not normally the healthiest thing for most people either. So, yeah. And especially for those of us who have families that don't agree with us. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, finding that that place where you're just like the things that you are saying are unacceptable and the, you know. You, I've been taking a stand with my mom, uh -huh. you know, she's not full QAnon, but mm -hmm. she is, right, right, right. you know, she, she is, with it. Yeah, yeah, she definitely voted for Trump the first time yeah. around yeah. and likely will this time. Okay. And, you know, and I tried to tell her, you have an autistic grandson. You have your daughter-in-law is an immigrant from Nigeria. Your grandchildren are half black. You are voting against all of their interests yeah. and you know, you just, you can't get through yeah. and yeah. It, you, you do hit that point of you, where is it self-care to just withdraw? Well, and the other part that's very difficult about it is separating someone's views from your relationship with them. Like right. finding a way to have a, a, a relationship with these people who you like, you know, with my wife's family, you know, there's a lot of very, very strong conservative viewpoints there and there's not an option of cutting these people out of your life you, you're going to be around them at thanksgiving and christmas and on the summer and so how do you do you do you have a, <laughs> a gentleman's agreement to or right. he's not going to talk about it or whatever but it's tough man it really is future nervous girl songs will be about how i have cut <laughs> oh, <laughs> most yeah, yeah. of my family out of my life um well, another thing, this is kind of in, in the realm of Black Lives Matter, but it'll kind of get back to something that you're talking about. And it, it's ironically, I think it was Louis C.K. who had, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and that one just killed me. You know, that's another thing is artists who I adored. Who oh, yeah. Then something happens with and you're like, again. Can, Brian can Adams. You, Brian Adams. Oh, knife sure, in my heart. For sure. I, you know, I, I, I was when I, he played at Gasparilla. I love that set. I was right up there on the stage. Sing along with every song. He has such a, a deep, deep uh, library of music mm -hmm. that I loved. And, he is and, prolific. And I don't know what to do with him. And you know how do you how do you get around that? You just cut him off, and then same with Woody Allen. And, you listen to Phoebe Bridgers. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. But like, so another one is like one of my wife's and my favorite movies, Midnight in Paris. Um, you know, but you know. 
<laughs> there's yeah. there's really just no question of what went on there. And then and then you start to get into the more of these gray areas like uh uh who who's it uh I forget his name. Indian comic. Um, he was on Parks and Rec, and he's on. Oh, Aziz Ansari. Aziz Ansari. Mm-hmm. So his was literally like sounded like a bad date. Like it was. I don't know a lot about it, so yeah. if you know more about it than I do, forgive me. But I, I've, I've, the allegation was like, yeah, probably not the best behavior. But is it is it something by which you're going to be, you know? Right. written off about. Yeah. And so that's another thing that's tough. Yeah. Um, My boyfriend and I have this conversation all the time. Well, I'm interested to hear your opinion on he's it. He's like, you know, he's like, I have been that person in the past. And, you know, when I think back, I'm like, oh, I have absolutely done shitty manipulative things. And I think, you know, it's only now that we're talking about it in this different context and thinking about how, you know, I have certainly done things that could be construed as abusive. And, you know, I would hate to be a teenager now in the age of social sure. media and things, you know, especially when I was like 19 and I was trying to be cool and edgy. And, um, you know, if if some of the things that I said back then were to be brought out now, yeah. just brought out now, like I would be mortified and I would feel so ashamed of myself. And so all of these people living so publicly, um, there's not really like there's not a lot of latitude in our culture right now to like, I love the narrative of allowing people to make mistakes right. and learn and grow from their mistakes. I, I, but there is a dividing line. There's a dividing line because and the so, severity of that mistake is what matters. Well, right. Harvey Weinstein, he's not going to learn right. from his mistakes, right. you know, but no, what, when you, yeah, you, start to, you know, Ryan Adams, where, where does he fall in, in there? You know, he, he used a position of power to yeah, leverage. Groomed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's a tough one. You yeah. know, Louis C.K. was, you know, subjecting people mm-hmm. to uh, stand audience to something that probably weren't complicit in wanting to be there, but didn't walk away because their career was at stake. You know, right. so these sorts of things are, you know, it's a it's a new conversation. But so it's, you've brought up three different things. I want to talk about Louis C.K. I want to talk about Jeffrey Epstein and I want to talk about David Bowie. So there's, right. there's our talking Yeah, points. because everyone views them all very differently. Well, and so it's funny as I did the ESPN show where it's like the next topic comes up and then this rapid fire thing. But so Louis C.K. had this bit about, and I don't remember the joke specifically, but it's like a first date for a man and woman are very different things because the man's worried about whether or not they're gonna he's going to get laid that night. And the woman's worried about whether or not she's going to get killed that night. Right. And I always thought that was such an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. And while it's tongue in cheek, I walk, through, I, you know, so I have a two-year-old and a six-year-old. So sometimes I'll go grocery shopping after I get them to bed, which means between nine and 10 at Target, right. I'm going and buying whatever we can because that's the only hour I get to do it. And I'm six four, big dude, beard. I walk through a parking lot without another thought in the world. But without fail, I walk by a single woman in a parking lot and I can feel them looking at me it's like, terrifying. is this going to be the guy who yeah. does it? Yeah. And I'm such a docile pacifist, whatever, but I, I may not appear that way at 930 at night in the dark, you know, target sure. parking lot. And so, you know, clutching the purse or getting the key fob out or mm-hmm. kind of walking under a street light or whatever the thing is. And it's, again, this empathy to how other people experience the world mm-hmm. versus how you experience the world. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, most of my band, we have gone through sexual assault and a lot of, you know, being a woman, you have these conversations with your friends and they're, you know, the me too is, is viral for a reason because you just look around the room and they say, yeah, me too. Yeah, Yeah, me too. Yeah, Yeah. me too. And sometimes it's varying degrees, um, you know, and, you know, my experience is, uh, is everyone's experience with it is unique. Um, I, my, my sexual assault was over a long period of time and it was by a woman. 
Oh, wow. Which is very dis- different sure. than, the, than yeah. the cultural narrative. And it's not one that we talk about. Um, and, you know, so if you listen to a Nervous Girl song and, you you know, you hear me addressing, you know, this this person that sexually assaulted me, it was it was actually my grandmother. Oh, my God. For, you know, and, and that's not that's, that's not very that's so different from, from the man in a parking lot. Sure. Yeah. And for years, like I didn't even recognize because it's not something that gets talked about. We don't talk about men getting sexually assaulted. We don't talk well, Terry about Cruz. Uh, I don't know if you know Terry right. Cruz, but that's a big one. He was sexually, right. And this guy is a professional football player. Right. I mean, built like a brick shit house. Mm-hmm. Like the for him to be in a victim, I don't want to call it a victim role, but to be right. the victim. People have a hard time wrapping their head around it. Like, how did you, how did, how are you in that position? So, and so it's so different from that image of a woman in a parking lot, you know? (laughs) So it's interesting. One of the guests that I wanted to have on, but I think she's, it's got some immune deficiency herself or in her household, but is Lynn Austin. You know who Lynn Austin is? Mm -mm. She was the first Hooters girl. So, so if you lived in this area growing up, you know who Lynn Austin was because every Bucks game, they had posters of her. There was always uh, billboards of her. And Hooters is such an interesting concept to me because (laughs) it's kind of if you stop and think about it, the fact that it exists is just bizarre. It's real weird. Yeah. It's just like, (laughs) you know, it's like we don't have a Dick's restaurant, you know, (laughs) it's probably a Dick's. But, you know, the point that I'm making is it it's kind of an not above board thing to have anymore, but still they're everywhere. Right. But my dad took me there when I was a teenager. (laughs) I, I, well, still to this day as a guy is like, Hey, we're meeting at Hooters. It's like, (laughs) you know, like, uh, you know, I I did. I love wings as much as the next guy. It's like, there's other places to get wings. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not really, but anyway, I I talked to her and I was like, she's like, you know, who I am now versus who I was then. And the world that we live in now versus the world that we lived in then. And, how, you know, women are viewed now versus how they were viewed then. And my wife uh, was a Bucks cheerleader for eight years and she's an attorney. I mean, she's one of the smartest people I know, one of the most capable people I know, but she lived in this world where she was, you know, objectified. And, and I don't know, is there, you know, like my daughter wants to be a Bucks cheerleader. My right. daughter wants to be a Bucks cheerleader. And I'm like, it's not a bad thing. It's not, but it, 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 it it's just is this weird kind of area and yeah. it's it's this thing which you know as progressive and as liberal as i like to think that i am i don't even know what i think about it and it's, it's same with weird. gender stuff you know like yeah. when you know so arguing with the conservatives like well they want to use your bathroom it's like you know that's such a stupid uh-huh. analysis but i don't like one of the ones that tripped me up a lot and i and i really try and be empathetic and i and i have friends you know transgender friends who i reached out to and i would say I don't know what I think about this. Can you, what do you, what do you think about this? Right. And it's funny because I don't even get the same answer from them, but like, for instance, sports, uh, you know, having a, a you know, a, a, a man who transitioned into a female, should they, in the MMA, should they fight with, you know, you know, what do you do there? Right. You know, and so there's these things where there's just not this clear mm-hmm. answer available. Right. And, you know, like my my kiddo is autistic and there is a there is a saying among the autistic community that if you've met an autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Mm-hmm. And so I think the same can be said for for trans folks yeah. like there is still there i think societally we want to think as trans people all have you know similar experiences and similar opinions right. but when you find something like sports it can be kind of a divisive uh, issue right right um interestingly to go back to the objectification sure. a little bit, um, you know, being in an all-girl band, that is definitely something that we experience. And it was funny because when I when I first started the band, I would go to shows and like, um, you know, I felt like, okay, I'm this fat old mom. <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm in a band. That's cool. But, you know, I have a day job. I have a kid. And guys were hitting on me left and right. And I wasn't seeing it. And um, my drummer was like, no, no, you're getting hit on, mm-hmm. you know, cause you're hot. And I'm just like, no, I'm fat old mom. I'm 36. Like, 
this is not a thing. And as time went on, I got so much more confident. And it's this weird thing where when you are objectified, you get confidence from it. And, you know, my whole evolution throughout the band, like, and with beauty standards changing, I've always been, you know, a bigger girl and grew up. I'm during- not agreeing. My, my silence <laughs> is not me agreeing with any of this. No, no. But I will tell your story. Uh, no, no, Um, Like growing up in the 90s with heroin chic and like not wanting any meat on anybody's mm. bones to suddenly like now, you know, like the the um more people being into like thick mm-hmm. girls like I've I've gotten so you much found more your lane you found confidence. your niche yeah, yeah, sure. yeah and and now like my facebook is full of Blown dudes yeah. i have no idea who they are yeah. so i don't post a lot about my own life anymore yeah. because i'm just like i don't know who all these dudes are i'm mainly just using it as a vehicle for my sure. band now right. um so there is that but i i also want like our songs are so deeply personal they're about such, you know, emotionally difficult things. I don't want to be objectified, but I have benefited from it. And, you know, I will, I'm in a lot of like paddleboard groups and gear groups on Facebook. And every time I make a post, you know, I will get like a flood of friend requests from dudes and then they'll DM me and, you know, strike out. And, but I'm still just like, I'm still going to use this power of objectification if it means that they're going to buy our merch and listen to our songs. Well, and, <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's a hard thing. Well, you, you know, you got to go with what you can go with. But, I, you know, it, it, there, it's kind of hackneyed. You always hear of the the guy who became a feminist when they had a little girl. But right. I, I don't I, I think I was as much of one as I could characterize myself as such. I mean, I think I was always generally fell on the right side of any of those discussions. <laughs> but um, when I had my daughter, you know, we were, my wife and I, uh, we would go to uh, Barnes and Noble. That's like kind of one of our date nights and we get the kids stuff. And she's like, let's walk down this aisle and look at all the boys toys and then look at all the girls toys mm-hmm. and all the boys toys were astronauts and doctors and firemen yep. and all the girls toys were princesses and makeup kits and all this other stuff. Yep. And, you know, it's just funny how we groom. And then another thing, I was having this conversation when the guys from Corbett Prep were doing the the Black Lives Matter mural on the other side of the building. Um, I went to Walmart and there's this corner aisle at the Walmart on Gandhi and it's all the clearance stuff and all the clearance stuff are like black Barbie dolls Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, these little black girls go down an aisle and they see all these white girls with their white hair and their Ugh. white makeup and their white, all this other stuff. And it's so, you know, with, with everything that's happening with BLM, like, uh, you know, Aunt Jemima syrup and, you know, the Redskins and all this stuff. It's like all this stuff is just background noise that me as a person who, because I'm not triggered by it, because it doesn't directly speak to me right. much in the way as I was talking to you about my my situation at the Jewish Community Center with my daughter, is all of a sudden it's just like, oh, my God, it's it's literally everywhere. It's you know, so it's literally everywhere. Yeah. You know, whether it's Hooters with the sexual mm-hmm. thing or the dolls on the aisle or the Aunt Jemima or the Reds, you know. And so it's just it's such a such a amazing time right now and i'm hoping that good comes out yeah. of it um what i would encourage people to do it's something that helped me a lot it, and i actually took this advice from lindy west okay. who is um a writer she she wrote for jezebel and she later her her book later got turned into shrill on okay. hulu yeah. um she she uh, suggested that in order to make things to normalize something, you need to be exposed to it. So for me, as a fat girl, follow beautiful fat people on Instagram. Don't fill your feed with thin white girls, you know? And so I will follow, I will curate my Instagram so that I see bodies of all colors and shapes and sizes. And so you see, you don't just see blonde Barbies. You see big, beautiful black girls and, you know, dark complected, um, uh, trans people and just all, 
all, all of the these things. Of the rainbow, yeah, yeah, that you're yeah, not necessarily yeah. that you don't necessarily get exposed to, and they're presented in you know aesthetic, beautiful way, and it just helps normalize because otherwise, you know, you might just get bombarded with cis white culture. Well, and not only with me, but uh, my children. This is something I think about. I had. Uh, uh, a, a attorney friend of mine, Brian Scriven, who's a black gentleman on, and I was talking to him as like, you know, I went to a Catholic school and I, I, I think we had one black girl in our class. And, you know, how do I, how do I expose my shit? Like, how do you do that? Like, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's such a, even a stupid question to ask, I feel, but at the same time, practically speaking, like literally, what do you do? Like, I, I, this is something I think about with my kids and, you know, we try to do it with JCC and then mm -hmm. this other stuff, but you know, I want my kids to be around gay kids. I want my kids to be around black kids. Mm -hmm. I want my kids to be around handicapped kids and just to see that, you know, there's not one mm -hmm. type, like you say, of beauty, right. beauty can be all these different things. And I think, you know, that's so, I, I think I'm going to be okay. Like, although I always joke, you know, probably in 30 years, I'm going to be like the old right racist, sexist dad, like whatever my views are, they're going to be even so much more progressive <laughs> by that point. Yeah. The kids are all right. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to be so antiquated and, and uh, on PC, but in any event, um, a couple a couple other points that I wanted to hit is, uh, and these are going to kind of be non sequiturs now because we went so far afield, but I watched the uh, Jeff Epstein documentary on mm -hmm. Netflix and I've there's been sexual abuse in my family that I've been aware of, not me specifically, but um, watching what these girls, the impact of what happened to them, it's very easy to be ruined for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you have to be ruined. Like, I think you can you can have a life with meaning, you can have a life with power, you can still have a life after that. But I just see these beautiful little girls who have just become a mess because of one incident or sometimes a handful of incidents. And so, it, it, you know, with my daughter, this, I said to my wife after I watched this, like, she's never sleeping over anywhere ever again. <laughs> she's never sleeping over anywhere ever again. Uh, and, you know, so it, as seeing how common it, it is mm -hmm. and how much of a mark it leaves on the victim, it's just, I don't even know what my point is, but, but to say that really drove it home for me and, yeah. and you know, yeah, I, I can only speak from my own experience, which I, which I said is so different right, right. than, than what we normally think of. Um, but therapy, I'm yeah. also a big, huge, I, I huge, spent huge, yeah. so long denying what, right. what happened to me because it was just easier it's to inconceivable. Think, yeah. Just to, to block think, it out. Yeah. And you know, the, the really fucked up part about, about my trauma is that I didn't recognize it for so long and I loved the oh, person that's who just raised it. That's, me. Oh, that's where it gets really kind of. Right. More than anything else in the world, I loved the person who raised me and who did those things to me. So for all of these memories to be coming up, I was just like, those just can't be true. Those things can't be true. But, you know, as I got older, I, I had to realize that, no, those are valid things that you're remembering. And I would get triggered during, um, uh, while other things were happening and I, I had to kind of come to terms with what my own brain wasn't letting me recognize mm -hmm. and um, working through that in therapy, you know, I'm going to be 38 in October and I'm still working through yeah. that stuff yeah. and it's, it's hard to face it. Um, but one of the ways that I that I cope with it is I write about it and I talk about it, even mm -hmm. though it's really. It's well, I mean, really maybe maybe there's a girl out there who's hearing that song and it doesn't feel alone because of what she went through, and that would be my dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, you know, um, that's that's what that's what those bands did for me. Right, you know, they made me feel less alone. And you know, I was going to band practice the other night. I was wearing a Bikini Kill T-shirt, mm -hmm. and I'm like. I am wearing a bikini kill t-shirt, going to band practice <laughs> in my all-girl band. Yeah. Like 14-year-old me would be so pumped yeah, right now. Yeah, thrilled. Yeah. 
Yep. That's awesome. And that's actually the biggest thing that the biggest way that COVID has affected us. We were being considered to open for Bikini Kill. In, I was going to ask you what bands you played with. Yeah. So, so we were being considered because they were huge. doing an Orlando, St. Augustine and yeah. Miami date. And when I saw that that was getting announced, I reached out to the promoter and she was like, yeah, I'll, I'll run it by the band. Yeah. And so uh, that would, that would have happened in September. Oh my God. We were just, waiting to hear but it did get rescheduled for next year okay so that that is uh you know still a possibility um that would be a dream come true i did see them um on their reunion tour that's awesome up to new york with my best friend and my boyfriend and we saw them on one of their first um reunions and it was it was that's amazing um the biggest show that we've had and the best show that we've had i gotta i gotta thank tom at crowbar um because he uh he suggested us for um the mannequin pussy show in december it was mannequin pussy and kississippi and we got to open for them and that is our bassist's favorite band okay um and so that was just a huge huge show for us that's awesome and it was it was um really amazing to be able to play um <clears throat> we play around here in the before times we did play. you do fest at all have you ever done fest or? uh no we had not done fest yet um we were trying to get on it for this year um but uh we missed the we missed the deadline I got invited to last year play. Uh, so Wolfface did two nights and the Friday night they did all Misfits covers. Uh-huh. And then Saturday was original stuff, but um, they, they were going to let me play skulls with them on. And I, and I was so, I've never played live and I mean, oh. I'm, I'm garbage, but I was like, I was like every night practicing it. My wife was looking at me like, you're, you're demented. It's like, you're going to drive up to Gainesville for one night to play one song. I was like, Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. that's going to be a, a big check off thing. of my bucket list. Um, so face are so fun. Oh my God. Um, so, uh, what about other shows, big shows that you've been to big, you know, I always love to talk about, you know, uh, 2019 was the year of shows for me. Um, <clears throat> I, I saw a lot of my bucket list bands in 2019. I saw Slater Kinney for the sixth time oh, wow. in Washington, DC. I saw better uh, oblivion community center, which is Phoebe Bridgers yeah. and um, Con- uh, Connor Oberst. Uh-huh. Um, I saw metric. I saw July talk. I saw, um, I, I seriously, my mind is blanking. Sure. No, it's okay. Uh, I saw uh, my boyfriend and I flew to Calgary and we saw Hopalong Bully and Julian Baker. Okay. I saw Julian Baker in this small theater and it was the best show I saw last year. Oh, wow. Um, I saw Lucy Dacus last year. What was your first show? My first show. First show, best show. I just just watched the uh, (laughs) show. Oh, there's a show and the, that, that's the guy's opening line. Everybody's like, first show, best show. <laughs> uh, my first show, um, I I went to a fest when I was 13 um, and it was like a bunch of bands. It was outside, but it was headlined by the Butthole Surfers. <laughs> that's my best show. <laughs> really? Yes. No kidding. Yes. Yeah, that was my first show. The, not that show, but the Butthole <laughs> Surfers is my best show. My first show was Rolling Stones, my best show. My best show is a butthole service at the Florida State Fairgrounds oh, okay. with the Stone Temple Pilots. And I always get it confused because I saw two different shows there. But there was a, some some amalgamation of Rollins Band, Helmet, uh, Primus' side band, Sausage, okay. and then Stone Temple Pilots. and But the butthole servers. Best show ever. I, I don't mean to hijack, no. but the fact that you said the bottle service just <laughs> that was my, my first show. I was uh, thirteen. What album was it? Um, it was on the Pepper. Okay, I okay. forget what what record that okay. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not Locust Abortion Technician, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I was thirteen. It was called the K Rockathon oh, wow. after our local sure. uh, uh, radio station, and it was a bunch of bands. Wasn't like K Rock, what Howard Stern was on at some point. Um, I think that's the LA one. Oh, okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. Um, and so it was like a bunch of bands. It was like 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was technically my first my first concert. But I did see Fiona Apple. I've on, seen Fiona Apple too. Yeah. I saw her at Ruth Eckert Hall on the not the most recent album, but the album before that. Oh, she was. I mean, she's. I think she was. Yeah, she's she's 
on a different wavelength. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was next level. And uh, so, yeah, I saw her the day I turned 14. Oh, wow. So that was on the title tour. Oh, for sure. So, but technically the other one was a couple months before. Okay. Uh, best show. Um, I saw Slater Kinney on the Woods tour. Okay. And it was a great album. It was amazing. They put out one or two since then, haven't they? Yeah, they've put out two since okay. then. Um, and a live album. They lost their drummer, didn't they? They did yeah. this last tour. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if we were if if they were going to play because they um they announced that they were splitting with Janet, who's been in the band for like twenty. Was that the years. one that was in the Beastie Boys originally? Or am I no, I'm I'm mixing up Mm-mm. bands, sorry. Yeah, she was in quasi. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and yeah, so they they lost her and and I was real nervous, like, oh my God, we're going to DC to see them and Janet's not gonna be there. And they got a new drummer and uh Angie Boylan. Okay. And she just killed it. Yeah. I'm thinking of Luscious it. Jackson's drummer was in Beastie Boys. I'm mixing uh, up my metaphors. All right. <laughs> so how are, well, that's a good yeah. best show too. Yeah, yeah. That was that was a great show. All right. All right. So what else do we have to talk about? I think we're, we've we've hit most of it. Where can people find you online? Uh, we are on Bandcamp okay. and on Spotify. Okay. Um, that's where you'll find our music. Do you have a website? Uh, we don't have a website. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. Our websites. Uh, do you even have websites anymore? I, Pretty much anybody has a, a Facebook, IG, or, yeah. or I guess if you're going to sell a lot of merch, then it, 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 it helps to do it that way. But yeah. otherwise, it's not that necessary. We do uh, have merch up on Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the you after find any times, double X's. <laughs> next, next t-shirt run. I want a double X. I, we will do that. All right, we will all right, do that. Yeah. We've got a t-shirt guy. My wife's, and I know love, my wife's like, you need another t-shirt. Like you need a <laughs> hole in the head. So <laughs> we, we specialize in black t-shirts. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming sure. by. This has been a pleasure. I Likewise. love the band. I love the music. Love your story. I think it's awesome. Anytime you guys have got a show coming up, please let me know. I'll put I it will. on the, the thing. And, I appreciate it. All right. The nervous girls, everybody check them out. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.